Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. You're listening to Crunch Time for South Australia Tourism. Perfect for those who want a little more this winter. Visit southaustralia.com and 7-Eleven. You're never far away from 7-Eleven's classic slow-cooked Australian beef pie or traditional veggie pasty. Jack Martin kicking to the Essendon stronghold and he'll drop it right in their midst, straight through the middle. Heads to the city end. Jones will have a look. Jones will fly and Jones will mark. So reminiscent of Neil Danaher's circuit 1981 in the long sleeves to the city end. And yes, Essendon has a goal on its big night. Dylan Shield arcs out a little, caresses the football. He knew he could do it. And he proves it. Harry Mackay curls it through for his third. Mackay was half knocked down, but he got it to Kurno, who made the ball talk from the pocket and got it to roll through for a second. It was so beautifully summed up by Kurno. Not their best, but they deny any joy for Essendon on their 150th celebrations. Instead, it's the Navy Blues. And what might be in 2022? Well, I thought our first half was was really strong. You know, look, I think we're still in that phase where we're learning to win and win properly and, you know, acknowledge that uh, there's still some growth left in us. Carlton resumes its historic role, reigning on the Essendon parades. The Bombers' celebration was flawless, but it couldn't mark the deficiencies in the current day team. As the Blues move to 9-3, Michael Voss is our headline guest. Gipkis up on the wing, knocked it to Baker, wriggled out of trouble, head clash, Port have two men down, squeezes it back to Baker, running at the 50, kicks to goal, Martin toppled his opponent over, gathered in the square and kicked the goal. And passed out to Rosie, stepped through the pack, opened the play up superbly, kicks for the unguarded goal, Connor Rosie with a signature moment. Port Adelaide come again. Nankervis tap, Baker Rose tumbled and gold. They leap at the punt road end. Kick to short. The bell sounds. A true slugfest on a Thursday night. And it's Richmond standing at the end. They beat Port Adelaide by 12 points. Rather perfectly, Carlton's next opponent is Richmond. And the Tigers are starting to loom ominously. Is this the post-buy surge to put them into contention? Just uh, extremely disappointed. Um, I know I've let a lot of people down, um, especially myself and, and the footy club. Yeah, it was flattening. I'm not going to lie, I've, I've, I've been embarrassed the last two days. Saying that to someone who has not played in a premiership who missed out, that the other players who didn't play in that grand final just may have the same respect for us as what he showed Melcham. These are the little divides that can happen, but it's these little fractions that might split the 22 that played and the guys that weren't in that group. You know, as I've said to the players, culture's never perfect and these things will always come up and it's what you do about them, how you react to them, and how you learn from them and how you get better and culture's never complete, it's never finished, it's always ongoing and you've got to nurture it, you've got to continue to remind yourself about what's important. And the demon drink sparks a hellish week for Melbourne as the AFL investigates the circumstances of the Entrecourt fights the reigning premiers are dealing with embarrassment on multiple fronts. Will it prove disruptive in the title defence?
This is the round 13 edition of Crunch Time. The moral of last night at the MCG is all the pageantry in the world can't cover the lack of an adequate defensive system. And don't choose Carlton as your opponents in these celebratory moments. They are the eternal pooper of the party. And they lived that role again last night. As we sit for crunch time, Jared Waitley with you. Luke Hodge is with me. Hello to you, Hodge. Good morning, Jared. What did you think last a- night? Oh, look, I think I was the, the same as a lot of other people out there. I, I thought, first of all, well done to Essendon as far as putting on a spectacle like that. Even though I had a big history of Hawthorne and Essendon not being fans of one another, to sit back and see the, the calibre of players that they've had. And I think we all agree that their last two years haven't been, oh, their last few years haven't been ideal, but what they did show us last night is what how rich their history is and the amount of players that have gone through there that you just sit back and... And you've just got to clap your hands and say, well done. They've, they've produced so many stars, but last night was just a great spectacle. And w- what I saw from the players, started with Heppel, passionate before the game, being a, a childhood Essendon uh, supporter. Um, they, they came with a bit of heart. They just didn't have the, the talent to, to match it with Carlton in the long run. Nick Del Santos on duty today. Hello, Nick. Good morning, gentlemen. Lovely to join you. Um, yeah, no, no, I'm probably very similar to you guys. I, I went to that game last night hoping that Essendon were going to put up a fight. I feel like we're getting a lot more confidence in what we see and what we know about the Blues. And it was up to Essendon to turn up and actually make a game of it. And they tried early. I think there was a couple of individuals that I saw some promising signs, some improvement. Dylan Shield, I thought, was one of his better games for the year, if not his best game for the year, which was fantastic from his perspective, given the pressure and the conversations around him. But as a whole... And assessing a football club for two hours of what we get to see on the weekend, still so many holes, so many simplistic holes that are just so far off being competitive against good teams, let alone the very best. They're not two and ten without good exactly. cause. Uh, Sam Edmund completes our quartet on crunch time. Welcome, Sam. Morning, Jared. So there's a developing story this morning on a Western Bulldogs front. There is indeed, uh, Jared. Unfortunate one to report, to be honest. A photo appearing to show their superstar, Western Bulldogs superstar Bailey Smith, with a bag of white powder has surfaced online. There's a video also in circulation, Jared of Smith at a party. Um, the photo was taken last year, is my understanding, and that's not to excuse uh, the act in any way, shape or form, but the Western Bulldogs and the AFL are investigating. The Dogs have just released a statement a short time ago saying they are aware of the images that are circulating on social media. The club is investigating the legitimacy of these images and is not in a position to comment further at this time. But this is going to move very quickly this weekend, today, Jared, and uh, the AFL looking into it as well. What are the potential ramifications of it at face value? Well, I think um, you're looking at a suspension, I would have thought, in some way, shape or form, uh, maybe even a fine as well. What I would say as well is that isn't this almost the, the example of the modern-day footballer where you've got someone like Bailey Smith who weighs his food to prepare to play elite-level sport, and then you've got these images doing the rounds as well when it comes to his social life. And I think there's a balance that the dogs will seek to strike with sanctioning the player and standing up for obviously what is right and protecting their brand, but also looking after the player himself, who I know a lot's been said in this, and this is not to excuse it in any way, shape or form, but around him just adjusting to life as Bailey Smith at the moment. We know the battles he's had in that space. So it's a delicate one for the Western Bulldogs. And 
Not the first time they've probably found themselves in this situation either, to be honest. Given he has become such a brand as a player, yeah. it is, it's a curious juxtaposition. Brand Bailey Smith's got a real dent today. I mean, the billboards around town, he's the biggest, the most marketable figure in the AFL almost, and it's going to be so fascinating to see where it goes from here. And his management group, Connor Sports, who are working overtime at the moment, I'm sure. Bailey Smith's been in dialogue with the club. The club have been in dialogue with the AFL. So I think it's going to move pretty quickly from just, here. Just quickly on that. And you speak about Bailey Smith accepting the profile that he has and all the things that come with being who he does and the following that he has. But that doesn't excuse no. being an AFL footballer because that rule obviously applies to society. But let's just focus on footballers. It doesn't matter if you're Bailey Smith and you're the number one marketable player in the AFL or you're young Joe Blow who's just trying to find their way. This is happening far too often now. They're a part of society, AFL players, and to expect or assume that they're not socialising like the average punter in the street at that age is, I think, a bit naive, to be honest. But by saying all of that, and I'm not condoning this, is there any chance they could actually learn and stop filming it? Yeah. Like, I know, and this, and I'm a parent of three kids, I'd never be saying this to my own kids. If you're going to do it, stop filming it. No, uh, I don't uh, think. Like, learn from the mistakes of those before you, but just put your damn phone down. Because none of it, like you're not getting away with this sort of stuff anymore. It's coming up 12 months later. There's been examples in the media. There's been examples of plays, stuff coming up from years ago. Mm. Leave your phone at home. If you're going to carry on and try and get away with some stuff that you know you can't, can we just do the first bit right and just leave your phone at home? So this is footy's Nadia Bartel moment, isn't it? Well, yeah, it's probably the most high-profile case since Nadia and the and the Kmart tray, as it was, uh, Jared. Um, I like it that Jared's across the Nadia Bartel situation. <laughs> Very good, Jay. I, I think the uh, the big thing here is with the Bulldogs, and yes, Bailey, he's going to have a lot of work to, to make up to obviously the club, the supporters, um, the AFL. But I think where the Western Bulldogs here, they have to look after him first of all. Mm. Um, he's a kid who he's taken time away for personal leave um, not too long ago. Um, there's been a lot of things going behind the scenes um, which he struggled with personally. Uh, and this is this is no excuse. I'm, what I'm saying here is what the doggies have to do is make sure this kid is okay because he's going to get he's going to be rock bottom right now. Uh, and people out there say yeah, so he should be, and, and you're probably fair enough in that opinion. But the most important thing is for the next few weeks, few months, while he's trying to, I guess improve or make up for his mistake that he's done, that he's going to hit rock bottom and, and it's a big job for his friends, his family and the Western Bulldogs to make yeah. sure they look after him. I think, Hodgie, that's absolutely spot on. And this is what I was speaking to earlier around the delicate nature that the that the Bulldogs, the awkward position the Bulldogs find themselves in, the need to punish the player, but also the need to look after him, Supporting, put an arm around him yeah, at the same absolutely. time. Yeah. Has there been, and off the top of my head, I can't think of a case that's been similar to this, Oh, where, you have to go has there been some sanctions of current players? I'm just trying to think. So he still owes two two weeks for the headbutt. So they've got the weekend off as the buy. Then he owes two more off the back of that. Is there any sort of idea about what something like this, if found and investigated to say, yep, can't do that, Bailey? What sort of sanction does this warrant? Uh, you almost have to go back. A vastly different situation, but the one that immediately came to mind was Harley Bennell in terms of photos coming up with, with illicit powders and, and whatnot. Um, that was a long Mumford. time ago. Yeah, down what, what in Danny yeah. And Shane Mumford as well, That's yeah. That's right. Shane Mumford was suspended, wasn't he? Jared? So I think I it's. Remember. I think possession's an automatic strike under the system, but that that doesn't come with the the penalty. So that that's going to be for the Bulldogs to decide. There'll be a formality on an AFL front if the circumstances are proven. So Shane Mumford was a twenty five thousand dollar fine and a two game suspension. Okay. Was my understanding. All right. So that story will develop uh, across the day and throughout the weekend, I'm sure. So to last night, uh, Hodgie is. 
when you, it's an interesting exposition of Essendon because when you meet the markers of they wanted to build last night on pressure and tackling, and they did that. So you're entitled to then explore the rest of their game. And the way for two and a half quarters, they just got opened up in transition and on the outside. And Carlton's goals came from half back sort of over and over again. Is There's a there's a flaw in the makeup of their system, either in the way that it, it is, it, it's built or the way that it is executed. That, that was pretty graphic for all of us to watch. Yeah, and I think... Look- Going up against Carlton, Carlton were really good. They were really patient with the ball, and they waited for the right time to a gap to open up. And and unfortunately for Essendon, there were a few of them. But you're right. There was the effort-based stuff was there, but the continuity, looking from uh, my point of view, was the team defence. As far as some of them were going into man on man, some of them were going into zone, some of them were playing a little bit of mix here and there. And as soon as you do that in this confusion, holes wait up, holes open up, and that's what good teams will hurt you. And, and Carlton were a really good team and that, that's what they were able to do. But I, I looked through the Essendon side and there is so many young people and I know we all said that they're on the way up. They made finals last year. Yes, they snuck into the finals and they got kicked out first week. Um, but you look back and you look at their main defenders. There's Reed who's 20. Ridley's 23. You look at Durham going through further up the ground who's 20. Perkins, 20. Redmond, 24. Nick Martin who's coming for first year is 21. There's so many younger guys in there that just haven't played with one another. And continuity as a group is how you improve your defence. And yes, they, they, last year they were known for taking the game on and, and sometimes they got to open up defensively. What teams are doing against them now, they're patient. They'll wait for a slip up, as we've seen a number of times last night, and then they'll wait and hit you really hard. And, and unfortunately for Essendon, they just have to go back to the drawing board and continue to work on that team defence because you don't want to come with all the effort, energy, contested ball as they did one at early, but then let yourself down by silly little errors of no communication or... Um, not working together on the defensive side of, of the football. The way we're speaking about Essendon right now is how we've spoken about Carlton's defence for the last handful <laughs> of years. You've got all these players that we consider from the outside talented and man-to-man can actually do a lot of really good creative things. But as the system comes together, the system's breaking down. I think Hodgie touches on a really good point and it's, sometimes it's difficult to describe, but everybody's now playing a team defence. And the whole notion behind that is, particularly on turnover. You speak about Essendon going forward to the football, Jared, and turning it over. So Carlton is now ball in hand. You've got to get through 18 players. So gone the days. It wasn't that long ago, and Sydney um, were probably the last to do it. You play one-on-one, so you've got to go through 18 individuals. But the team defence system means that it can actually cover up for mistakes. But what we are seeing consistently and far too often is some players, as Hodgie's touched on, a man-on-man. They're, they're feeling vulnerable they're feeling in a desperate position where they need to be really close to their opponent but what that actually creates is little pockets of space because the next player in that line from an Essendon perspective might be doing the zone or might be the really proactive space but what it leaves and against good teams and Carlton are a good team particularly ball in hand really creative hit their targets you actually start to pick it apart and what that does over the course of maybe one passage of play or over a quarter of football it actually creates more doubt. And then you go into self-preservation mode. And if, particularly if you're a defender, you're like, well, I'm not going to roll up here and be really aggressive and proactive like I've been taught for years. Because I know if Dylan Shield doesn't do it and I'm looking at my other midfielders, if they're not keeping the ball in our front half and slowing the play down, then unfortunately it's me that's going to get a kick to goal again. So I'm going to go back and play back shoulder. And that actually creates more. It compounds the issue more than actually supports it. So you look at it. Is, is it at the stage now where it can't be fixed? No. But the problem is it needs a solid summer of work. It's not like you can just flick the switch in seven days and say, well, the back half of the year, the Bombers will be better. They might be, but not to the extent that minimises the damage that they're currently giving up. 
Yes, as they, they were at risk of having a really bad night halfway through the third quarter. And to their credit, it was all, all shoulders to the wheel and they kicked a sequence of behinds, which if they'd been able to land a couple of goals, it might have generated something. And then the last quarter was a, a complete stalemate. Yeah. There's, there's no goals either way. So you sort of dismiss the last half Can hour. Can I ask you, let, let's, and I know we're speaking about Essendon, just really briefly, what did you make of Carlton's performance then, given the opposition? Hodgie? Uh, look, I think that's where the, the next step for Carlton is making sure that they do beat teams that they're better at and, and beat them convincingly. I, I sat back at half-time thinking, Essendon are a shot here. And I do know I know that Carlton have got a lot of injuries. You go through, Ed Kernow's another leader in there. You've got Zach Williams out, uh, Weedering, McGovern, um, Pitnett's crucial for them as well. So, yes, they're missing a few, but I thought there was at times where their maturity, like they were trying to go fast when they should and they were trying to go slow when they should go fast. And that's about the next phase of Carlton, about their development of when to pull the trigger, when to hold up, because they, they were playing some risky footy at times, which was given Essendon opportunities to turn the ball over, but just Essendon weren't good enough to, to convert the scores. The other, the other one I was just going to touch on, Hodgie, and love your take on this, and we're speaking about Essendon's ball movement, but I, but I still think they are guilty of what you just spoke about from a Carlton's perspective. There is times that they go fast when they don't have the stability behind the football. So once again, when you go with speed trying to go into your forward half, your defenders and your mids that are left behind the plate don't have time to set up or to find an opponent. And then as soon as it's turned over, that's when we start to describe them as unorganised behind the football. So I think it works both ways. You need to be organised when going forward. When do you identify, yep, go as fast as you can, put some pressure on the opposition? or slow it down, maintain possession, get some stability behind the football, and then start to be a little bit more creative going forward. It was a positive press conference, wasn't it, from Ben Rutten? There was a lot of optimism there, except for one particular chapter when he was asked about Jake Stringer. Now, Jake Stringer playing his first game since May 1st, nine touches, goalless. So there wasn't a potential out there if you're the coach. Have a listen to Ben Rutten, though, when he's asked about Jake Stringer, Jared. Stringer's first game back. Um, do you think it would just be continuity to get him back to... Playing his best footy. I hope so. Yeah. yeah. How did you say he's not? Yeah, he had a poor, poor game tonight, and we, you know, as a senior player for us, yeah, we need more from him, and yeah, hopefully we'll get a bounce out of that. Does Jake need a uh, training block, not playing then, or would he keep just? No, look, I don't think so. His prep's been his last couple of weeks. Yeah, we had the bye. Yeah, he would have played last week uh, if we didn't have the bye. So yeah, his preparation's been fine. So he could have given him an out, but he was determined not to. <laughs> that was um. For Ben, it was pretty calm and composed. That was uh, some honest feedback for him. I actually thought Jake, and as I said, Ben would know it a lot better than what I would. Um, I actually thought Jake's effort early, it was almost like he was trying so hard to get into the game. Um, you could tell his timing was out. There was three or four times where he burst off his opponent. He had two or three leads, but then he went and jumped. And we're, we know what Jake Stringer does when he's flying. He jumps into packs and he crashes packs and bring down the ball. If not, if he doesn't mark it, the ball hit the deck and he'll follow up behind it. He was just—he just looked out of sorts, and that—that's what happens when you when you haven't played for five weeks. Um, as the game went on, you could tell his his fitness wasn't quite there. But I, I felt that Jake's attitude early was to try and go in there and have an impact as Jake normally does. But he just found he was a little bit wanting for for touch and, and fitness. I often find when a coach speaks like that, and that was very honest. And what I like about that is we all see it and we have an opinion. There's no point tiptoeing around and trying to cover up. But the reality of the situation is. If you've just come back into the team from a multiple, you know, lengthy layoff, mm. it does. The, the honest answer is, it takes you weeks to get the the speed of the game and to get that football fitness. But when I hear Ben Run and speak about things like that, and we just spoke about their ability to tackle and put some pressure on, that probably says that Ben Run to me 
is seeing things in Jake Stringer that doesn't fall in line with whatever they're, you know, the defensive aspects of the game. That's a polite way of saying mm. he works one way. Is he prepared to join in the team defence? Is he prepared to dig deep and find it, you know, find that extra oomph when you need him? Not quite sure just yet. That's what I would take from Ben Runnan's comments. If, if he's having a go like that at Jake, I reckon there's a few other people in that side that he's also got a question as well. Lucky the journey only asked one player. Could have gone through the whole team. Could have been a long presser. Our Michael Voss is about to join us. We'll dig a little deeper on the Blues, who are 9-3. and three. Bats Vossi at three-quarter time was quite the picture of the modern coach. He'd seen a little bit that he didn't like. You're listening to Crunch Time for South Australia Tourism. Rewards wonder. Visit southaustralia.com. And 7-Eleven, hot food, hot and ready near you. You're listening to Crunch Time for South Australia Tourism. Perfect for those who want a little more this winter. Visit southaustralia.com and 7-Eleven. You're never far away from 7-Eleven's classic slow-cooked Australian beef pie or traditional veggie pasty. Carlton by 26 points over Essendon on Friday night footy in front of 65,500 at the MCG. The Blues are 9-3. and three. Standards are rising, opportunities knocking, and the coach Michael Voss is with us on Crunch Time. Michael, welcome. Thanks, Jared. What had you so worked up at three-quarter time, Michael? What had you seen <laughs> that rankled you? <laughs> yeah, I've been rewinded now of it a few times. Um, but oh, I've been just straight away from a, a few simple things in the game. Um, been working on a on a few things just to be able to make sure that we can um, execute correctly for longer and um, we just drifted away from it. Um, started the quarter really well and um, and weren't able to stay to it. So um, it was just a nice, friendly reminder to, <laughs> to get back on that task. You've got to have that in you, don't you, Michael? Yeah, I think so. Um, you, you know, different ways to looking to get the best out of your group and um, you know, I said at the time, it's it's, and I've said right throughout this year, it's not about the scoreboard for us. Where um, <clears throat> we've obviously been able to put a lot of great transformational moments in the group. Um, we're still very much learning about what we need to be able to do to um, get to where we need to go. And um, sometimes you've got to call on those sorts of things to be able to uh, draw something out of them. Was it a, a flow on from maybe a couple of the things that you'd highlighted after the Collingwood game? Uh, oh, a little bit. The Collingwood game was somewhat um, different in that uh, we just didn't start with the energy um, required for the defensive part of the game, and, and it really put us at risk um, for most of the game. So the fact that we strung um, probably two 10-minute periods um, throughout that game and, and almost snatched it, we, we were almost put ourselves in a, in a, in a um, position to win the game, but we certainly didn't deserve it. Um, now this was somewhat different. Um, it was just uh, being able to make sure that we just stuck to our job. We we got our detail role in our roles right, um, and that gives us the best chance to be able to um, play the right way. Vossi, Essendon obviously came with a big occasion. They hunted the ball early. It was a sort of it was a weird game for you guys a little bit last night. Early on, your stoppage work probably wasn't up to what we've expected from you guys in the past. But your ball movement, your composure moving forward was was really good and broke Essendon open a couple of times. But then in the second half, it looked like it flipped. Uh, Cripps got his hands on the ball around the stoppage, but your ball movement really dropped away. What did the, the guys say about that after the game? Yeah, it's a, a funny one, <laughs> that, wasn't it? It's, uh, the, we had to set the game up from uh, in a different way. Um, you know, we've obviously had that um, clearance dominance um, that uh, uh, that we normally have, but uh, obviously some went to work on it really hard and um, we're able to get field position. And um, But on the, on the counter, we're able to work our way through it and, um, really clever with our ball use, um, took the options, um, felt like even though that we were 
moving the way we were, it's still pretty much low risk and um, it set up some really good scoring opportunities. But, um, you know, clearly you're trying to address most things. Um, you know, the mids went to work and, and gave us a bit more territory from that part of the game, but uh, we fell away in a few other areas. And to be fair, you know, I, I would say that both teams weren't um, going great by foot at that particular time. The more the game went on, it seemed uh, that the errors were able to were escalating. Fossey, Hodgie spoke earlier before you came on in regards to the tempo of the game and ways that you can get more, I guess, bang for your buck, when to go fast and when to go slow. Is that an educational thing, whether you agree with it or not? And how do you teach that? And I probably teach your players in the moment to understand what the situation needs. It's a fair a fair body of work um, because we certainly haven't got it right um, all the time. Uh, and it's it, it's a very much feel thing for the players. Um, we certainly uh, um, talk about it a fair bit. Ash Hans is our offensive coach and um, you know he's always talking about the speed and the numbers and um, assessing the situation. Um, ultimately, it's just you, it, it comes down to your training environment um, and and being able to try and cre- recreate scenarios and um, and then go out there and train it. So because the players are the ones that have to be able to feel it. Um, and and but the one thing we can never replicate, of course, is the opposition and what they're doing. And and um, you know, sixty five thousand people in the stands. So um, we're very much. Um, um, ask the players to be able to make those decisions and uh, when's the right time to do what. You, you get to bring back Caleb March back last night for the first time in a very, very long time. He's been riddled with the injuries for about three seasons. How nice is it as a coach to be able to tell somebody that news and how pleasing was it for the group to have him back in the team? Oh, they're, they're joyful moments of coaching. Um, it was uh, it was fantastic just to be able to see. Um, he's clearly loved by this playing group. Um, he's had an, an incredible journey over the last um, last three years, and I've said it a couple of times. But he's had some ups and downs since I've been here, and um, you know he's had some challenges that have extended beyond that, well beyond that. Um, so for for to give him the news, um, I wanted to tell him after training because it's just like oh, you want to tell him before training that something happened. Um, I wanted to tell him after training, and the boys are just absolutely wrapped. It it can really energise you. Um, you know, clearly we lost Weeders last week, and. Um, it was disappointing. We've lost him for a little while, but um, to fill that with some great news, um, the boys got around him pretty big. Uh, Silvani, you look at him last night, he did so many good things, but what we keep saying with your players when you do get injuries is people step up and play roles that they don't normally play. You look at Draper and Phillips last night was trying to work over to Koning, um, but Silvani was able to jump in, play a ruck, work hard forward. You've got to be impressed with some of the selfless mindset and acts from some of your younger players. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and we, we've certainly got players that have um, received some accolades for some of the games that they've played. Um, you know, Charlie's kicking the goals and H and, you know, Cripper's having a great season. And um, obviously, Docky's story on its own is, um, you know, is an un- unbelievable one. And his form has uh, been strong. Um, but the, the the thing that we've tried to really value more than anything else is, our, is um, the guys are able to willing to do roles. And and certainly Soss has been that guy. Um, from the first moment I met him, he's uh, um, sort of stipulated where he feels like he can um, help us and, and he's just prepared to be able to play whatever role we give us. And um, I think he likes going into the ruck. Um, <laughs> he likes that freedom to be able to roam around the ground and, and get his hands dirty and, and then obviously slide forward and um, create that pressure. And if he's lucky, he'd go. It would be nice uh, coaching Patrick Cripps, but one person I look at is Sam Walsh. And what he does for your game style, the work rate that that kid does up and back 
<laughs> runs out to the wings. He creates space for other people around him. But his work rate sorts out the the link up one two. He gets burned a lot by his teammates, but that's because he he gets up and he he continues to present options. And, and I guess he makes the the defenders really second guess whether they go with him or stay with the ball carrier. Um, his work rate last night was outstanding. Yeah, it's, it's just the guys that um, run when everyone else stops. He's uh, it's phenomenal what this guy does with his training. Um, you know, like it, there's nothing he misses in his preparation. Um, you know, he's first he's first on the track and he's generally last to leave. Uh, you know, like he's just constantly working on his game and um, and when you sort of have someone like that in your in your team that can just still work when everyone else is stopping, it just still keeps your system flowing and demands others to keep running. And um, you know, he's obviously been a a fantastic player um, for us in the past. Um, this year he's been great to coach. Um, like I said, he's always trying to go to work, and he's always trying to work out how he can help the team. And um, yeah, he's got a he's got an unbelievable attitude, unbelievable work rate, and, and clearly we know his talents. Fossey, we know you've got a lot of really good players. You've just touched on a couple. I want to ask you about a couple of the lesser known, or I guess the less high profile players in Owies, Cottrell, and Durden. Now look at their numbers last night: two goals, one goal, and Durden a couple of behinds. What do you ask of these players in these sort of role plays? How do you measure them as well? And how do you know if they are actually committing or, or achieving what you want from them, given that you can't just base it off pure numbers? It's a great question. Um, if I had to come back in my footy lifetime uh, and, and, and play in a different position, I wouldn't pick half forward. <laughs> um, it, it, uh, it's such an unrewarded um, place to play. And these guys know how much we absolutely love what they do. Um, and we have to also acknowledge that these are sorts of the roles where um, you won't walk off the ground playing a fantastic game every week. And you'll have periods of the game where um, you might not get near it, um, but you still have to run those defensive patterns. You still have to you know, get up and do things like you know, taking away the corridor and we ask them to reset back inside 50 and get the ground ball and chase and harass and tackle. And, and mate, when you get the chance, um, can you kick the odd goal? It'd be nice and, and, and finish it off. It's it's such an unrewarded um, role to play. But every single team, I think, would sit here and really, um, you know, pour the love on the guys that are able to do those roles. And, and that's what they do for us. Um, they've been able to bring the pressure, been able to bring the heat. Um, it just creates that delay that you need to be able to set up your defence. And, and without them, our system just doesn't work. You're in a position now, Vossi, where you can launch into the back half of the year. This is a position this club hasn't historically in recent history been in, sitting in fourth as it currently stands. I'm looking at the your run home from here, but you've got a huge three weeks coming up. How far ahead can you look? Or is it simply with this group, hey, let's just keep ticking the boxes. You roll into Richmond next week, then you've got Freo and the Saints. It's a big three weeks coming up. Uh, it's a great question, um, Dale, because, you know, the, the tendency is is that when um, the winds start coming is you look further and further ahead. Yeah. Um, and the challenge for us is that um, we, we have to really sort of resist that as a, as a temptation and keep looking what, what's the challenges in front of us and let the people who are in those positions to be able to um, look what the next month needs to look like. But we, we've got to keep our eyes on the road in front of us and, um, you know, playing against Collingwood, Obviously, only a fortnight ago, and just the size of the crowd there, and then um, playing against Essendon with sixty-five odd thousand people, and, and we'll walk into this game probably expecting seventy-five, eighty. So, um, no, we can't afford to, to to do anything other than just look at the competition in front of us, 
Um, we have to plan really hard. We have to prepare really hard um, because it's, it's not getting any easier. Um, so what's the point of looking ahead? Uh, Vossi, Sam Edmundy, I just want to ask you about Adam Chair. Obviously, you'll get him scanned with the hamstring tightness. But at this stage, with a six-day break before Richmond, would you say he's unlikely at this point? Oh, yeah, he's highly unlikely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so we'll, we'll get a test, uh, um, I think, tomorrow or Monday um, might be the day that we actually can get it fully assessed. Um, obviously, playing a Friday night game, that puts us back behind. But, yeah, I would have thought he's unlikely for, for the game this week, that's uh, for sure. And when it comes to your list, I mean, you've had a, a good look at it now for a good period of time. I mean, what do you think you need with an eye moving forward? I mean, do you look at it and think, we've got everything we need here, given natural growth and improvement? Or, in your mind, is the puzzle still needing a piece or two? I know it, your list is always um, is always evolving. We, we we don't certainly feel like we're a finished product in um, you know in a lot of things that we do. We're we're only just uh, starting. There's a great base that's um, been formed here. There's been a lot of work that's been put into this list. Um, you know, when I first walked in, um, it was nice to be able to just sort of walk through and and talk to, talk walk with players and talk with players about where they're at and um, and give everyone an absolute fresh set of eyes um when you come at the end of um 12 months you you've probably got a bit more information a bit more evidence um you understand what you need what you don't need um so we'll take that time to do that that's not right now um but because you're always sort of formulating what that is going to ultimately look like for you but mm. uh I'll, I'm, I'm pretty determined um with the list management team just to sort of take our time with it and uh and see what see what evolves in the back half of this year and some will step up and some will, some will step down. But, uh, yeah, we're, we've got plenty of work to do, though. So the most recent piece that you added in the mid-season draft, Michael, was mm. Sam Durden. So he plays VFL. How, what, what's the, how steep is the curve? He knows how to play league footy, but he doesn't know Carlton, system, terminology, role. How steep is the curve to be ready to be a legitimate selection option? Oh, it's huge. <laughs> it's huge. I... I tapped him on the shoulder on day two and he's sitting in front of the computer. I don't think he'd left it for three hours. <laughs> um, and uh, I said, mate, you don't, don't worry. You don't need to know it all, all at once. Um, I, maybe, maybe it might help him a little that, um, you know, he's playing a bit more key post. So um, he probably just got to understand what's going up the field to try and help him. Um, but uh, I, I think he, he, he just needs to come in and mix in with his teammates. Um, you know, certainly playing in that back six, back seven, it's about trust and understanding and, um, the more relationships that he can build really quickly, um, the better it will be. Uh, we understand that he'll take a little while to sort of pick up the game nuances that we're after, but uh, um, he's familiar with his position, so that's certainly, is a, that's certainly a start. And it was the first time you'd looked at the defence without Jacob Weider in with this injury. He's a, He looks like the centre of gravity down there. Who... who where does responsibility go around um, the the system and the setup and the instruction that I that I'm sure Jacob is is a central part to? How how have you disseminated that through those who are there? I will miss him, but it's got to be a collective response, um, Jared. We, we've um, we've we've spent a lot of time on that around um, you know that next man up, and um, we we would love to have him there uh, as we would have loved to have had um, H for the last for the last month, but we, we've got to be a team that um, has to be able to adapt to things. And there's another guy that comes in. We're fortunate that Marchie was obviously able to come into the, into this side and, um, and he's going to have to go to, he's going to have to pick it up pretty quick as well. But um, no, we, we always ask for a collective response. We'll always miss um, someone like um, some, someone like Jacob, but 
Um, the players have got on with things. They're not whinging about who's there, who's not there, um, where we're playing, what conditions we're playing them in. So we just play on and um, we back in with the players that, uh, that are there to be able to execute what we need. Good to have you with us, Michael. Good luck for Thursday night. We'll see you then. Appreciate it. Thanks for that. Michael Bye. Voss, Carlton coach. Richmond coming on Thursday night. We'll probe a little further there next. You're listening to Crunch Time for South Australia Tourism. Rewards wonder. Visit southaustralia.com and 7-Eleven Hot Food. Hot and ready near you. You're listening to Crunch Time for South Australia Tourism. Perfect for those who want a little more this winter. Visit southaustralia.com and 7-Eleven. You're never far away from 7-Eleven's classic slow-cooked Australian beef pie or traditional veggie pasty. Carlton 9-3 after last night's victory. Richmond stand before them on Thursday night rather enticingly. So that stretch that Nick Del Santo mentioned for the Blues, Richmond's, Fremantle, St Kilda. Then they've got West Coast and Geelong. So four of the next five against teams who are all vying in that that same ruck to be in contention, to be in the top four. Nick, is that this is going to give us a great read on them? We're, we're going to find out about this football club, and you know we've said this in different ways when they haven't been a good team. Let's let's see what they you know what they stand for and what sort of style of football they're going to play. But if I'm a Carlton supporter. That next three weeks in particular is daunting, but it's exciting. That, that's that's really what you want. And next Thursday night, coming up against the Tigers, who are in a similar situation in regards to trying to find and reassure themselves and their fans that they are somewhere around the mark again. But Tigers into Frio, who have stood up in the last fortnight against a couple of um, you know huge contenders, into the Saints. So I love the way that this season's folding out. So take off your supporters hat for whichever club it is for a moment. We've got a fantastic back half of the year coming up. We've got the Blues sneaking in the top four as it currently stands. Now, fast forward to the end of the football season, or the end of the home and away season, I think Carlton playing finals is the progression that we've all been asking for, and we're like, that's a tick. But if they can hang in top four, all of a sudden they've exceeded that expectation, they get that final experience, and that is the launching pad, in my opinion, for what the next couple of years could look like for them. Hodgie, what's your projection on the Blues right now? Well, I think they're, they've... Done what they've, they've played uh, probably the, the lower half of the ladder if you look at it at the moment. Um, I think Dale's right as far as the, the next few weeks because in three weeks' time they could go from, from fourth to eighth. That's how close the, uh, the the season is, and a lot of the top eight teams are playing each other. But I think how a stop ball with the injuries that they've had, uh, you can't fault them. We talk about Essendon with their continuity. Carlton have gone through the, the same stuff. They've had a lot of injuries to a lot of key people. DeConing doing an excellent job in the ruck normally by himself, uh, while Pitnett's out. Um, so you, you can't fault for what, what they've been doing so far, but they have probably had an easier draw than, than the next month or so moving forward. Gee, they'd love a week, though, where they don't cop a fresh injury. It's yeah. like you're just continually bailing water out of the boat. So there's some serious long-term issues there. I think Pitnett's probably the biggest one mm-hmm. because of the yeah. flow-on effect from having him there and the fact that he holds the key to that midfield, which is been a big strength of theirs they just love a week and it was Chera this week and it was we during the week before and then McGovern's a big one as well because they're a bit thin down back so they just like a couple of weeks where they can just have a breather on start the touching well, the, the beauty about where we sit with Carlton now is we get to assess them and judge them against the best opposed to 
the, the conversation in recent years of we just want to see improvement or they need to win this game because they're playing North Melbourne or the Gold Coast Suns. We now get to compare them and hold them accountable against the very best teams because that's where they're sitting right now. Well, they've beaten Richmond. They've beaten the Western Bulldogs. They've beaten Sydney. Now, Fremantle got a hold of them over there and yep. they get them back over here next. So you're right, though. It's a, it's a pivotal. So the Saints are the one team they haven't played a big good matchup as well. But that's the exciting thing for them. If they can get to the finals, and as Dale said, if they can be in the top eight, play finals, if they get that list back, it's a, it's a scary list for opposition teams because we know that they can win the, con- the contested ball, the clearances. We've seen that already this year. Their forward line is so dangerous. And if they can get Weedering back in there, look, it's it's a side that I reckon a lot of teams would fear if they got their full team back on the park in September. Jared, are we holding a little bit... Of- in our back pocket with the Blues because we haven't seen them do it. Is that why there's a tiny bit of trepidation with what they've done to this point without going overs? Yeah, I think so. So I think they'll do well to split those those four key games if they go two and two. I think you'd be satisfied with what's missing at the moment. And because it's getting so competitive at mm. the bottom of the eight with Collingwood and maybe the Bulldogs and certainly the Suns, is you're not going to have to do... I think there's going to be a really high bar to make the eight. I think you'll have to win 13. Yep. I think there'll be multiple clubs who win 12 who will miss. So you have to do a bit of forecasting as to where you sit. But yeah, if they were full strength, I wouldn't have any queries about them at all. But I think this is the grip on phase. They they should have won last night yep. and they did. But like Richmond are in the eye of the beholder right now. Is it, You can see what you want to see. Mm-hmm. They couldn't have won by less on Thursday night. So they won by 12, and I think they should have won by plenty more than that. Hello, Shea Bolton. Um, but are you forecasting? I think it, you can make the case, are they on a tear? Are they going to pick off sides above them? Or are they going to slug away between 7 and 10? Where do you see them? I've got them as a slug away. So do I. Yeah. I'm, I've heard some commentary this week about the Tigers uh, about mm. to launch, and it's only up from here. I, I can't see it. And well, look take it. away the numbers for a split second – you know, the champion data numbers and what's really important, my eye doesn't have the same um, feel and the same visual as it had. I think they've lost their, not their killer instinct, but their, their punch. They kicked five goals in the first quarter and life's pretty. You know, it's a beautiful game of football on Thursday night. They've got Port Adelaide exactly where they want them. And then the next hour, so the t- next two quarters, you sort of go, nothing really happened there. You know, they didn't even put on a couple of goals just to keep the scoreboard ticking over. So... They, in my opinion, they're not what they once were, and that's not a knock on them. It's just a reality of guys getting older and, you know, your best is somewhere behind you. But I'm more – it's going to be hard. Nothing's easy anymore for Richmond, and that's just a reality of the mm. game. Now, Tom Lynch, they'll get back for that game as well. So then what they do with Noel Bolter, I'm assuming they push him back as well. They might try to stretch them. Who knows how – you know what? I loved the Gipkiss move. I know yeah. it wasn't the pivotal move mm. on Thursday night, but he went forward in that last quarter. This is a young man that's rangy. He needs to eat about 15 more steaks to get a bit more <laughs> size on. But you ask a young man to come into a system that's already established, he's fitted in really well down back. He's honest and he defends hard. But then just the ability to go forward and say, hey, young man, just work it out. Just go back to under 12s and just make it up as you go. And he kicks the goal. I thought it was fantastic. And I just want to point out, Jared, what a great litmus test this will be for Thursday night football in the middle of winter in Melbourne. After the crowd we got at Thursday just gone, the 21,000, lowest Richmond home game at the G since 2010. Is that right? So does Thursday night survive in Melbourne in winter going forward to next year where we're going to see more of it and we get to see two big Victorian clubs give it a good, good testing next week? So I think this... The Thursday nights that were fixtured this time around are a bit of an experimentation. So uh, the the use of the MCG is really interesting mm. rather than Marvel. 
I feel like it's definitely worked in Adelaide in the past. It has. What does it look like in yep. Perth? So it felt to me this was very deliberate to put these games at the MCG in the middle of winter, and it's a it's high risk. And given that Richmond and Carlton have already played a Thursday night game, to to have that as the next one, I thought was a bit of a curiosity. Yeah. So I think this is all about information gathering. So it's a it's a rating smash hit. And a but you have to holiday. trade against yeah, that. Yeah. Is, is it looks like twenty one thousand at the ground, and twenty one so, at the G is not a great twenty. No, and, and the fact that it's Richmond and it's the like, their lowest home crowd for a decade, you have to marry the two up mm. because it's deliberate. Thursday nights is deliberately done. This is to, the catchment is eight hundred thousand to one point one million, as opposed to the twenty thousand extra that you would have in the stands, and then you have to make your values based on that. I you think. raise a good point. School holidays as well that, that has to have an impact. And it's bloody hot, you wouldn't know, but it's bloody freezing. It has been <laughs> Arctic here as well, which hasn't done any favours for anyone. So, I've been down there regularly the last few weeks. But <laughs> you leave so quick, though. You can't wait to get back on that bird and get up the there and sunbake. I was at the airport at 5.30 this yes. morning waiting to get back up here. <laughs> yes. Good call. You, uh, I think if you look at – I think the Richmond supporters are of seeing and feeling what Dale was just talking about. It's not the exciting brand of football of we've seen the last three years, so they're probably sitting back going – Oh, I'm going to go there. We may win, we may not. Can, do I sit at home and watch it? But I reckon this week's going to be a bit different because they know there's a rivalry and they mm-hmm. know there's going to be a challenge. Carlton on the way up. These two, have, they're not fans of each other. The supporters, they always kick off the season. So we know the history, history that they've got. Um, the, the, the following Thursday's the one I'm a little bit worried about. How many are, the, how many are you going to get at the MCG for Melbourne? Is that Brisbane? Brisbane, Brisbane yeah. Lions. Yeah. Mm. And then the following week, Brisbane Bulldogs up here. So you, you're going to get a lot because Brisbane are – the Thursday nights do work up here with, with the Collingwood games. So that uh, last week's was an issue, and I think the next week's Melbourne – Brisbane Lions is going to be a big issue and big talking point as well. Yeah, yeah I think using those two. So Richmond and Carlton – is usually a guaranteed. And Melbourne-Brisbane had shaped for weeks as the game of the season mm. between the, the top two teams. So that's why they loaded the Thursday night in an yeah. interesting way, I think, to get information for the future. And it is part of a broader conversation around crowds, which are an issue. And, and the AFL have acknowledged now that, that that is an issue for a variety of reasons. We know that Melbourne were in the headlines for, for, for uh, I guess, a lack of turnout. We know that North Melbourne are really fearful for the crowd that they're going to get uh, tomorrow as well for that home game against GWS. And David Noble issued that rallying cry if you like so it is it is a broad conversation isn't it? everyone's got a different reason at the moment the one with the, the Melbourne one is the most surprising for me and I'll put it in this sort of context let's say St Kilda wins a premiership and then the following year I've got young children I'll be going out of my way to take my kids to a St Kilda games knowing that we're probably going to win most weeks because we've just come off the back of a premiership I'm staggered just from a family perspective why there's not more parents taking their kids to Melbourne games, it's not going to get much better than what it is right now, Sammy. I know the last couple of weeks, but I'll be going out of my way as a D supporter well, they are to entice my kids. They ranked five for, for average home and away attendance. At least oh, they were going into the round. Anyway. We've covered a couple of their games yeah. this year, and you're like... Should there oh, be more? Well, yeah. I, I think there should be. Just on pure, hey, life doesn't get much better than this yeah. D supporters. Get out here and watch it while it's pretty. So slightly down on 2018, the last time they mm. were a really good team, and, and well up on 2019, which was their dire mm. year. So like for like, they're not far no, away from their market. It just yeah. has, it, you would have had in your mind, is once they're the best team in it, mm. that it might vault, and, and it we, hasn't vaulted. I reckon we had this exact conversation the first Thursday night of the season when they took on the Western Bulldogs. We're like, the season's on. Let's get going. Where is everybody? 
when you go to the footy this weekend, or even if you're not, grab the AFL record. Big Freeze is back. It profiles the 10 sliders who are taking the icy plunge and interviews those who have done it in the past, a touching tribute from Neil Danaher as well. We'll broaden out our conversation to the discussions of the week, and this is really where Melbourne comes into sharp focus with Luke Hodge and Nick Del Santo. You're listening to Crunch Time for South Australia Tourism. Rewards wonder. Visit southaustralia.com and 7-Eleven Hot Food hot and ready near you. You're listening to Crunch Time for South Australia Tourism. Perfect for those who want a little more this winter. Visit southaustralia.com and 7-Eleven. You're never far away from 7-Eleven's classic slow-cooked Australian beef pie or traditional veggie pasty. Crunch Time on the Saturday of Round 13. Jared Waitley, Sam Edmund, Nick Del Santo and Luke Hodge with you as we broaden our discussion to the to the debates and the discussions of the week. And Melbourne have been right at the forefront of that. And what a... Well, it's always a great build-up to big freeze at the G, but it's a much more intense spotlight as a result of their own actions. It spins off in a whole lot of different directions. And I think, Luke Hodge, you, you were the... I've never really heard the conversation before around within a club the haves and the have-nots in terms of who played in the premiership and who didn't, and the inherent and unspoken of tension that exists there, which is clearly at the mm. core of what took place at Entrecote. It's been a fascinating... I found it so interesting, Luke, from, from your words onwards and what Jordan Lewis added to, to your experience to just understand what, what that piece within a successful club is like. I think that's why clubs over the last probably 10 years um, that I've noticed that they always try and bring in it's it's the group it's not just the team it's the 44 on the list because that's what you do need to, to win a premiership you just don't go through and play in the 22 um, every game because there's injuries as we've seen with Carlton and there's people out of form so you do need a whole list to get through um, that's where it does get tricky because once it gets down to grand finals premierships there's only 22 medals that are handed out and talking to a lot of teammates um, of mine that were not playing on, on grand final day, they do say they do feel left out. I know Tom Murphy, I, he's, um, he, he did so much for us, Tom Murphy, but he, he was emergency for a couple of grand finals, I think. Um, and he felt, I know that he went back to the Crown Casino where we all did and, and he sat there and tried to celebrate but ended up going, up home, going home early because it hurt him so much because he was there with us for such a big journey but wasn't in the playing list and and that's the sort of a little bit of a rift that you do get between the blokes that are playing and the blokes that don't and then all of a sudden when alcohol is involved and you and someone's mentioning that feelings do get hurt and we were led to believe that it was towards Malsham from from the press conference or the the um release from Melbourne but obviously Melsham was just sticking after to Smith's but there is that little bit of a rift especially when there's booze involved and it is raised by a player who was a premiership player. Hodgie I'm with Jared on this one like I've been fascinated and probably never really thought about it to be honest about the division and how some feel and some don't so in your experiences Hodgie were you acutely aware that you had to be delicate I mean, it might even be something about, you know, reminiscing about the grand final day, knowing that not everybody was actually out there and didn't actually get to feel like you did. Did you, did you feel that? Did you ever have to have a private conversation and be a little bit more delicate when Tom Murphy, for example, was around? Yeah, oh, look, it's, it, it's 
within it, it's whether they're in the it's whether they're playing or injured. Um, it, it's I think it's just more that reflection of your group and understanding how everyone's feeling. And I think clubs have got a lot better at it. Uh, I think early on it just would have been out partying, and if you're in it, go and enjoy it. And if you're not, then you support the team because that's what a good teammate does. But teams are more aware of these days. And, and you're, you're, you're taught, as soon as you walk in to a football club, you're taught about looking after your teammate, having his feelings, making sure he can prepare, play the best he possibly can. But you're also taught to look out for him and whether he's enjoying football, whether he's going okay in life outside of football. Becoming a teammate now is not just about playing on the footy field. It's about everything else that comes with it, about spending every day with him. And that also includes when you guys have success, turn around and looking and seeing how your teammates are feeling that haven't played. And there's no doubt, and I'm, I'm, I'm only speaking because 2008, I probably wouldn't have thought like that until you heard blokes that did miss out and how they did feel. Um, and you are a lot more aware of it as, as you get older. And this is the risk to the dynamic of the group. And these stories are only ever told in hindsight. Mm-hmm. So we won't know. We won't know over a period of time. And this can break either way. Um, Nathan Jones was with us last night. He's part of our Friday night team. Uh, and he was really upfront. He said even when he heard it and he wasn't there, he was offended. He was offended by what had taken place from, and it, it's not just one premiership player. It, it turns out that it's two within that room. Here's a little around what uh, what Nathan told us last night. I'll be brutally honest. As soon as I heard that without even having spoken to anyone, I absolutely took offence. I was there. I lived it. And I was like, oh, surely not. Like, yeah. And it hurt me. Like I was thinking, and, and you can only imagine, you know, I don't know how many boys were there on the night, but. You know, say there's two or three that didn't play, then that infiltrating back into the group of the 20-odd guys that didn't play as well. And um, I think that's the danger of it. But ultimately, I think, um, you know, uh, well, you'd hope internally that they're able to address that. It's just a strange place to get to, isn't it? Like midway through this year, to be going out for dinner, I know alcohol's involved. It's a, It's a really... In the isolated incident, it's a really strange place for Stephen May and whoever was there to get to that point of a conversation where you have to have little jives. And, you know, Is about, it though? History would say it's, it's not really. I, I find that odd. I, I do. I, I find that strange that, you know, the lack of EQ or understanding mm. about, you know, it's nine odd months ago, whatever it is, but how do you get to that part in a conversation where you need to get to that point to prove that you've got one up on, a, on another, you know, teammate? So I find that just a crappy situation. To, to start and to finish at. But, um, you know, I sit here right now probably happy that I never won a premiership because I didn't have to go through these really awkward conversations, Sam. That, that's how I feel really pleased <laughs> that, over here. That's my takeaway. I feel sorry for Hodgie and everyone else who's having to deal with all these personalities. and Life's that, pretty sweet over here. I, 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 think, I think that's where football clubs are getting so much better because no doubt back... 10, 15, 20, 25 years ago, it was the old culture of speak when you're spoken to, earn my respect. Mm. Um, if you're in, the, if you're in the, the 22, then you're the man. If you're not, then you need to work to earn our respect. That mindset, that culture is changing and, and it has changed. It's come a long way. Unfortunately, there still are parts that, that fall back into it. And whether it's insecurities of people that have to bring it up to make himself feel better, um, I, I don't know. But I have heard stories... Clubs do try and get rid of those kind of people, and I'm not saying they're going to try and get rid of Stephen. He just may have said a stupid thing when he was when he was on the booze. But there has been history; has been bought by another teammate a few years ago, and that teammate got sacked. Um, but this this is what clubs are working so hard to try and get out, try and get that um, macho belittling 
comments when you're on the booze, they're trying to get rid of it because it's no good for them and it's clearly can unsettle a whole football club. So the next question now becomes, Hodgie, does it galvanise them or does it divide them? Now, I, I, you haven't been in this exact situation, but from what you've lived and being one of the greatest teams of all time and you know 20, every, 20 plays every year not living what you got to live, how do you make sure that they get back on the same page? What does Stephen May have to do to rebuild that trust and that feeling within the group? What does Jake Melksham have to do? How can you make sure that this isn't the end of what has been an incredible 12-odd months for the club? No, I think the, the first thing you have to do is get the guys in, in a room and, and to talk it out and whoever was offended. or I think I said that on Wednesday, Jared, that Max Gorn's got a pretty big job to do and mm. so does Viney, mm. the leadership group, as far as sitting back, making sure that there are no... I guess, grudges from that comment. Yes, there's going to be some hurt feelings, but as long as Stephen May stands up in front of the group, apologises and, and sincerely means it, because everyone everyone in life goes through and says things that you either don't think they hurt their feelings or if you did say it to hurt someone's feelings, you regret it straight away. Everyone's done that. Whether you're meant to or not, everyone has done that and been in that situation. It's about the remorse that Stephen May shows to his teammates for them to sit up and go, well, I actually believe you. Um, I, I feel you, you do feel regret with what you said that's how you move on just brushing it under the carpet's not going to work you need to get, it's one of those simple things where you can come out talk honestly about what was said talk honestly about why you said it how people are feeling from it and that's the easiest way to move on melbourne missed the meeting about modern crisis management is that that much is clear from the week they tried to pass it off as as something quite minor at the start of the week. Yeah, Scuffle. And, yeah, and the, the more detail that came out, the more serious it looked. Mm. And now uh, the AFL was slow to get to the point, but th- this this is absolutely demanding of some level of scrutiny and oversight from the integrity, uh, from the integrity office, uh, and that process has now begun. Uh, indeed it has, and it's dragged on all week because the coach doesn't speak until Friday. So it's happened Sunday night, then the hand injuries become clear. The severity out two operations in the end to, to have the infection treated to, for Jake Melksham. And the coach doesn't speak about it until Friday. So the AFL Integrity Department are investigating at the moment, Jared. You're, you're spot on with that. And I think we, we really drill down into the sanctions handed to the two players is that Stephen May has been suspended not because he got into a fight in a public setting or because he was intoxicated, but because he was drinking while he was in concussion protocol. So while injured, which is a, which is a club breach. Hence why Jake Melksham has not been suspended. And we're told constantly, don't gloss over the fact they're doing community service. But I think the AFL, upon investigating something like this, now they have been at pains to say privately, don't assume that we're going to come in with our own sanction. But it's hard to see them going through this process and not adding a layer to it for the reasons that I just mentioned. They cannot be okay with violence in a public setting with with two AFL players. It just... It can't wash. If we extrapolated the Melksham scenario, I think we would come to the conclusion that Melbourne is of the view that Melksham exercised extraordinary restraint to what was going on over a lengthy period of time. Can we time get into the specifics before of Before ultimately getting to the end point. The question will be whether the AFL holds to that view and whether the consistencies of the past around physical violence in public are actually met by the standard of community service. And if the AFL accedes to that, does it then set a precedent for what comes next? Can we get in? Because clearly Melbourne are privy to all the details that we aren't from the outside looking in. And and a large portion of that is that Jake Melksham showed, as you say, incredible restraint, 
incredible restraint. Multiple times tried to walk away, and it got to the point where they were over at Grattan Gardens over the road with Stephen May continually antagonising him, pulling his shirt, jumper punching, and it's got to the point where Jake Melksham has struck him, and that's where we've got to. So he was asked, do you want to take it outside? It spilled out over into the gardens. An incredible series of events. Um that, that's led to the to the here and now. So no one can say that Jake Melksham hasn't tried, absolutely not excusing his behaviour. Violence is never the answer, we know that, but tried to walk away multiple, multiple and times. And he holds himself pretty well in regards to boxing, doesn't he, Jake Melksham? He can... uh, heard that many times. Yeah, yeah, I remember so... when we used to play and he shaped up a couple of times. <laughs> the word was, do not take him on. Yeah, well, that's coming so from Stephen you, that's May, a big call. Stephen May twice has picked the wrong person to bully. Um, the, the thing that also with the Jake Melksham part of it was what clubs hold highly is what they do post an incident as well and apparently Jake's called up Maxi Gorn called up the club and told him straight away where clubs get frustrated is when they try when players try to hide it from them so then they can't get on the front foot so yeah. I reckon that's come into the punishment of Jake Melsham it hasn't been handed harder because he rang him straight away told him exactly what happened was open honest um, said what he did said that he was incorrect and I reckon that's why he's got the um, the Charity or the, the um, what was community his service? Community service, sorry, uh, because he he tried to not do anything, end up doing it, rang the club, did the right thing by the club as far as inform them, but because of him striking, he still had to do the community service. Where's the piece of leadership as well? So, do you know exactly how many players were at this dinner? It's about seven players. So, there. where's the other six odd players that are having a beer or having a drink with Stephen May, who they know has been concussed mm. the week before. They know what the protocol is to say, hey, Steve, we're going out for a feed. Yeah. But you're not drinking. And Max Are Gordon, you serious? Yeah. yeah, that wasn't the nature of the dinner either, which I think mm. is interesting. The nature of the dinner was very much a wine-tasting affair. Well, well, uh, and I know it's a small piece in this whole big puzzle, but the Tasting. other... Com- the other conversation is we're applauding Melbourne for their on-field leadership and how they've evolved and grown before our eyes to get the ultimate last year. But where's the other piece of leadership? And like I knew Hodgie as a player... And Hodgie, I mean, you enjoyed a beer. There's no doubt about that. But the good clubs wouldn't tolerate a senior player that's been knocked out a week before coming out for wine. No, no, Steve. Not here you can't. I mean, I'm really sorry. We love you as a mate and as a teammate, but you're not drinking with us. Go home. It's not the protocol. It's not what we stand by. Where's that part well, of leadership I, gone? I, th- I think if you look at the people that clearly there was no senior players there. Otherwise, and if you look at how Stephen May is on the booze, is he going to, if a young fella tries to tell him what to do, we always talk about two-way communication, open communication, a young person can tell an older person if, if he feels it's not the right per, right thing to do. But by the sound of how Stephen May is and what he's like, he wouldn't have listened. If I wouldn't not, invite him, Hodgie. I'd go one yeah. step. I wouldn't, he wouldn't be invited. How, how can you yeah, invite um, somebody out there, unless he organised the evening, but how, no. how can he be invited? <laughs> 100%. That, and that's where it would have been a, along the part, especially how serious concussion is and, and the team rules these days, is if you come, you're not, you're not drinking. So mm. it was pointless going to a wine tasting, but by the sense of it, if there was a, a lot of younger players there, that they probably wouldn't have the confidence to, to speak up to Stephen because he'd probably either belittle them, wouldn't listen to them and do his own thing anyway. What's the role for the AFL in the differentiation between a footballer clouding a member mm. of the public, Shea Bolton, $20,000 fine, yep. and the, the meeting in Gill's office, and two teammates in a public environment? Yeah, well, that's the key difference here. So when we're speaking about the delay in the integrity department investigating, and what we've become conditioned to know is that club sanctions are ticked off by the AFL. They're done in concert with one another. It was certainly the case with Richmond, but... When it involves a member of the public in the immediate 
situation. So if uh, Stephen May had gone into a brawl with uh, Joe Blow down there at Entrecote, then the AFL would have been straight onto it straight away. The integrity department straight into it, like they were with Richmond. But because in this case, this is two players, um, you know, having their own spat, then um, then they've been a little bit slow to the uptake and haven't necessarily, I'm told, played an active hand in ticking off Melbourne's punishment on this. So yeah. now that they go to look at it, who knows where it goes wrong. I just think, you know, from the outside looking in, Jared, I find it hard to believe that they won't um, add a layer of, of sanction to it. Yeah, Melbourne have put themselves in this situation. Everyone, three weeks ago, everyone was talking about how, does, how do we stop Melbourne? What can we do to stop this football club who has been searching so long for a premiership? They finally got one, and then everyone's thinking, oh, are they, are they going to relax? No, they didn't. Over the preseason, they came back fitter. They came back hungrier. They came back stronger. The only thing that's starting to pull them down is internal. It, it's them shooting themselves in the foot. So I think everyone's going to wait and tune in just to sort of see how can they react from that. Their back's against the wall. They're going to come out fighting. Pardon the pun. Um, <laughs> but with with that, though, everyone just wants to see how they react. Are they are they a resilient club? Can they can they fight through this? Because I think that's that's the big question. Big game. You talk about getting back on track and putting a couple of these conversations to the side for a split second and focusing on football. Led by the, this is where your leaders need to stand up. And if you're Max Gorn and Clayton Oliver, Petrarca, whoever's there come Monday, compartmentalise your responsibility as an AFL player. You've got two hours of work just to put all of that rubbish aside for a split second, take control of business, and then you can talk about it during the week. Mm. The best and, I, and that's John. that's sorry, that, that's what they'll be talking about. Yeah. Maxi Gorn, they'll be saying, boys, let's go and do what we do best. We've got so much external noise going on. You're right, Dale. They'll be just sitting back going, we cannot wait for Monday. Just bring Monday on. That's the whole talk internal at that football club right now. The best idea of the week was Kenny's reverse press conference. <laughs> no, I, I'm not so sure about that, Jeremy. Oh, that was the just best a idea. Lux. What a great idea uh, for, for modern footy. Well, he uh, conducted one. Well, he did. He went straight to it, and it was in his mind. Bit of method acting. On on Thursday night with Jade Clark, wasn't it? It was. Just just the look of it, the seriousness Jay, of it. do you think the doctor made the wrong call? No, 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 but that, that it will be questioned naturally, obviously. But have I not, not answered your question? No, but I'm saying it's a, it's a discussion point because of the look of it. That's why that's why it'll be debated. It's that would be unsurprising to you. I'm I'm, I, I'm not unsurprised that you'd ask the question around how the boys were. Yeah. That's what I'm not surprised. Not I'm not surprised at all. But you're asking how they were. They were mm-hmm. fine. It's just because of the seriousness of the issue. Obviously, at the moment, the client in the AFL. What does so it do you think a doctor of 25 years would take a risk with concussion with the, the seriousness of the injuries that go on now with concussion? I wouldn't have thought they would know. But so can we stop the questions? Oh, it's just the look of it. That's all. No, I'm asking you. I've, I've tried to answer it for you as yeah. well as I can. Yeah, no, I'm just saying it is, it is the look I of it. I get what you're saying, Jay, but I'm also saying back to you. Gotcha. I've yep. got the most experienced doctor in the AFL yeah. making these decisions. Mm. Where do you want me to go? Where do you want him to go? Do you want him to go back to medical school? I don't know. I think Kenny is the best equipped for the reverse press conference. Maybe you're onto something. I've changed my mind. That is compelling listening, isn't Jay, it? Jay should have did said, anyone else feel awkward? Yeah, <laughs> I do. I'm getting a bit hot and sweaty. Jay should have said, hey, 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 I asked the questions around here, Ken. You just answer them. Well, the question wasn't asked and wasn't answered. No, so the really specific question is not whether the players were concussed. The really specific question is how did the doctor know that the players weren't concussed without performing the formal test? So that's the... From the outside, as a layman, that's what I would be interested yep, in. I'm with you. In all that we've been conditioned around the looks of incidents and whatnot, is why why was the doctor so sure that there was no need to conduct the formal test? I, no, 
you can't possibly make the case that they had concussion. It is relevant to know how did he how did he know as an absolute, given concussion is now empirical yep. in the way that it's been applied, yep. how did he know empirically that the two players Haw- weren't concussed? Hawkeye evaluation, Jared, to answer your question specifically, and the fact that there was no clinical indication of concussion that warranted further investigation and testing. Now, that, that's the phrasing that the AFL used. Um, to, to paraphrase the AFL's chief medical officer who, who looked at the, the collision with uh, Zach Butters and also with Tom Jones. Yeah, and that, that's the question and answer. And then how do we relate that to other incidents where players do go through the concussion protocol? And clearly it was a, a savage hit. Let's, let's just oh, call it cringeworthy. Back. It was a huge hit. Both yep. players stayed down for a portion of time. Both players need a medical treatment. Both players were split open. So I think if just from the outside looking in, there was an element of surprise given what we've seen, mm. especially in modern times, that those players would, would just simply would go through the protocol. I, I do agree with Ken, though, in regards to questioning the medical practitioner. Now, now the, the medical staff do clearly work in with the football club, but they're, almost, they're, they're accountable to their own protocols as well. So to suggest that there was... You know, I've heard some stuff this week, whether it's you know speculation that you know Ken might have whispered down the line, no, no don't even test. I don't believe in any of that. No, no. I think the integrity of a medical practitioner is so far above that. And speaking to some coaches in recent years about the medical sub concussion, that there is a protocol some clubs have where they don't even ask. They say that it's the medical team's responsibility. You call me in the coach's box when you have a diagnosis. I will never call you and put any pressure on. It's your responsibility. Pick up the phone on the bench. And this example, tell me how those two young men are going. I'm not asking you because that's not my job. I'm not sure if I need to go this far or not. But just to remove all semblance of doubt from now on, do we just put an independent medical officer in charge of AFL games? So the interesting part to that question would be, would the in, would an independent doctor have asked for the concussion assessment or would have he reached the exact same conclusion with the exact same fact? Pa- and that, on the, the outside, outside that's know. unknowable. Yep, it is. Which is why it's an interesting it, question. But it stops... All of the dialogue. It stops Kenny's reverse press conference. It stops the <laughs> AFL having to look into it and release a statement. And it stops the, the reputation of a, of a fine doctor. Just even if it's just a nick on the way through, it re- removes all doubt. So whether we need to do that or not, I, I saw calls during the, um, in the aftermath of this have started up again for that. But um, maybe we don't need it. Maybe we do. Well, yeah, it's, we're so strict on the protocol once somebody's concussed, and rightly so. We've evolved in that space, yet we haven't got the protocol prior to a diagnosis being you know, ruled one way or the other. But I sort of sit on the fence a little bit that I agree with Ken. I'd never question a medical practitioner's responsibility and doing whatever's best for those players. But by saying that, have we actually missed a, a gap in in the game where we actually need to assess everything just on its mm. merits or whatever it looks like? Yeah, so the previous week, this, I think it's really interesting mm. trying to understand it from the outside. The previous week, uh, Tom Stewart passes the concussion tests, but then sits with the doctor and they look at the vision and go, no, yep, you, you have the right. wobble in the aftermath, so that's enough. You, so you, uh, you did the 20 minutes, you threw the concussion test, but I'm taking you out of the game through the protocols because you, you were a bit wobbly yep. in the aftermath of it. So I think as the observer from the outside, as you put all those layers in together, and that's where it does get, mm. I think that, you know, that there are questions that sit in your mind and go, so how did, how did we get here? And yesterday there needed to be that clarity. There needed to be that, that level of information made public to all of us to understand what we were watching. It was a big hit Thursday as well. Just, just on that, mate, that was a big head yeah. clash. We've got uh, the bounce back coming up, which is the Brisbane Lions. So the, the next match uh, 
Well, tonight's match is just so important at the Gabba. We'll set you up for the Queen's birthday Monday. Maybe the source of Kenny's reverse press conference as well. And Tasmania has been part of the conversation this week. You're listening to Crunch Time for South Australia Tourism. Rewards wonder. Visit southaustralia.com. And 7-Eleven, hot food, hot and ready near you. You're listening to Crunch Time for South Australia Tourism. Perfect for those who want a little more this winter. Visit southaustralia.com and 7-Eleven. You're never far away from 7-Eleven's classic slow-cooked Australian beef pie or traditional veggie pasty. Crunch Time, round 13. The Gabba tonight is the feature of Saturday footy. The Brisbane Lions and St Kilda. We're gearing up for the games. Thanks to Dometic. Go on your next adventure, Dometic.com. Jared Waitley, Sam Edmund, Nick Del Santo and Luke Hodge. Uh, we'll come there shortly. Just the, the origin of the Ken Hinckley reverse press conference was speculation around his future and whether... He, whether the Giants have any eyes towards him. Now, Ken is in the tooth and nail struggle for Port Adelaide's season, which now falls to five and seven. Mm. And the power are living the exact line that you have to know. He's our coach and he's contracted for next year because their 2022 fate is not revealed yet. They've got a much more interesting conversation if they are miles out of contention by the end as to whether they live the, the Giants example and send a coach into his final year long-term coach in the final year at a time where they, presumably if they miss the finals, they will have to embark on a period of reset. Yep. Um, and the older players in their brigade, they'll have to figure out whether they're, when their next window to be competitive for a flag is and where that leaves Ken Hinckley. So, Luke Hodge, it feels to me that this is a conversation for right at the end of the year as to, let let okay, we've had our years of contending, we have missed the eight. What are we going to do once their 2022 fate is fully revealed? Yeah, I still feel Ken has that much belief in that group that once he has a full squad that they could push. I actually tipped them to be in the grand final this year. How silly am I looking at the moment? But they've had no real run with with their full list. And they've, they've worked their backside off. They won five out of six, I think, after starting zip five. Kenny's a, a very passionate, loyal person. Um, everyone who you speak to that knows him says that, and that's what his players say. So you can see why he gets his back up because he has that much belief in that squad that he wants to do something with it. Um, whether he leaves next year or the year after, m- my belief is he wants to stay there as long as he can because he, he can see a premiership in that group. He, he definitely could from last year moving through. And yes, this year it's been an awkward start, but that's how much belief he has in that, that football club. I can't see a premiership. And I was like you, Hodgie. I didn't have him tip for the flag this year, but I've been really bullish on him for probably the previous couple um, yes, injuries have been significant. Speaking to some Port Adelaide people earlier this year about going zip and five, and the first name they kept on bringing up was Charlie Dixon. And my response to that is, it's got to be more than this big chuck. Like I, I understand he's a pivotal, he's a real good focal point, and when he's up and going, you know, he's all Australian quality of, of a couple of years ago. But there's got to be more than just one player is not uh, not out there, and hence the results. But I can't see the premiership from where they start stand right now. If they make finals, you know. Well and good. If they win a final, I think we're going to get a really good understanding about where they see this list. And then ultimately the decision makes uh, the, you need to make is Ken, whether it be next year or extended off the back of next year, the man to keep going through this and 
recalibrate and find that next premiership-looking list, or, and this is no offence again, or you go in a different direction with, with a new voice and a new vision for that football club. And I don't see that as offensive towards Kenny. I, I love what Ken's done for the footy club. I think they've been really competitive around the mark for multiple years, and mm. that's all you want. And, and clearly they haven't got there. But it's not through lack of trying or lack of oh, system. Oh, no, no. This is where the Giants are such a relevant case study. Yep. Now, I'm not preempting that Port Adelaide um, can't amount to something this year. I suspect from here they don't. Yep. But the Giants came into a season where they were resetting. They weren't going to be successful in 2022 by their own hand. And they brought a long-term coach into the last year of his contract and it lasted eight weeks. Yep. So I think that becomes a relevant case study. Don't come into the season like that. Make all your assessments at the end of this year once you know your lot. And I have no doubt Ken will be in demand elsewhere. He's so well regarded across footy. So th- this there is a there is a chapter to this in August, but it has to run its course before yeah. then. So it, so it, simplistically, you're saying if Port Adelaide want to continue and Ken's your man, you need to commit more than just that next year because so if, if he's not it, finished yeah. it, if you now, make the decision at the end of the year and go, okay, we've got to take two years to reset yep. here. So the next time we're contending is. 24, uh, 25, then you can't carry a long-term coach in the last year of his contract like the Giants attempted to. Yeah, that makes sense. You have to go, you're the guy to lead us through the next three, or it is time and we'll bring in the new voice. Is is this where clubs are going to be forced with the Alistair Clarkson option? Are they sitting back waiting? Are we a chance to get him? How many clubs are going to be getting to August, early August, and say, well, Port Adelaide for one, do we keep Ken or are we a chance of getting Clarko? How many are going to be other clubs are going to Gold Coast are probably in a similar position. The fact that Dewey's won three of the last four, they're sitting back going, well, he, the, the players might be playing for him. So I think what we're going to see going towards that August deadline or, or close to is how many clubs are going to not commit to a coach because they might be that chance of getting Clarko. Yeah, and if the Giants do come for Ken, then they all need to have that conversation is what are we doing here? But there's a few there's a few steps in the middle there that you have to sort of well, skip over to get to the mm-hmm. August conversation. Well, assuming this group doesn't have another premiership in them and this season peters out, are we right to assume that Kenny won't be that that's going to be awfully tempting for the Port Adelaide board to make a change. It's this is Ken's tenth year. It would have to be a, a longer recommitment to him for the reasons we've just articulated. They are going to be awfully tempted to see this as the circuit breaker moment to to make the change. Two prelims, they've tried, they've been right up there as you say. They haven't quite got over the hump. You bring mm. a fresh man in with some fresh ideas, yeah, and that's the Leon Cameron mm. example. And the other piece that really happens in our game: does someone finish up a coaching tenure at a football club and then instantly go to another football club? We don't get that much in our industry, do we? It's a little bit unusual that we've considered eighteen coaches as it currently stands as the best in the country, the elite of the elite. Yet once you finish your coaching stint at whatever football club, you rarely go in directly in. to another football club. It, it comes from within, or you go back to an assistant, work your way back up. So. That, that within itself is a little bit intriguing as well. There, it was the real, last one. What, yeah. Ross Lyon was probably the last one to do that, wasn't he? Yeah, it's off the top of my head. That's going back to the end of 2011. So we're a decade past that off the top of my head, Hodgie. You raise a good point. Tasmania. Um, Gil went down, met with the new pre, uh, Premier face-to-face. Mm. The message wasn't surprising. Um, so... To, be, to get the 19th licence, they're going to need that stadium, which has been spoken about. Um, there was sort of a layer of... De- you have to be a little bit careful, I think, at the moment who you listen to around Tasmania because there are clearly anti-agendas which are running heavily 
but I don't know how broad that real representation is. It's this. We're in the deal making phase. This is where the AF. This is where Gil McLaughlin excels. Get the best possible deal from all the parties who are eager right now, and then present it. This I'm absolutely sure of. The AFL wants football in Tasmania. When I say the AFL, I mean. AFL headquarters down the road here. They want a 19th team in Tasmania, right? So we're, we're operating off that base. And now, we're, as you say, we're in the cut and thrust of negotiating. Uh, Tasmania are going to the presidents at the moment. They're finalising the bid document, if you like. All that information will go to the 18 presidents ahead of the August vote. Gil McLaughlin's been really strong on forget the two-thirds that need to vote it down. We want all 18 on board. So there's a few that are against it. And it just so happens that those few... Aren't exactly the the quietly spoken presidents in the in the swimming pool. They're not they're not the minnows in the pond. They're they're the they're the sort of the sharks in the pond, if you like. So that's the concern at the moment. But the specifics around the stadium, it looked magnificent, didn't it? The Devils then. So Gil just wants a commitment. He labelled a hundred and fifty million dollar investment from the Tasmanian uh, government as a quote unquote a good start, Jared. So yeah. this goes to the heart of what you're talking about. He, he's the master deal maker, and when you have the position of strength, and the, this is the only time you get to make that deal. Yep. So the new stadium is non-negotiable. I think we. I feel like we knew that. Uh, and then the level of state government commitment for eternity, you only get one chance to to mm. iron that level out. The, Gil's history is he delivers this deal in yep. August. Yeah. And it would be frankly surprising that, if he didn't. That's where my flag is is set up at the moment. I still think we get there, but it's it's, it's, it's nervy ties. How, how, we, get how we get there, of course. And um well, whether it costs $750 million, probably not. Maybe we're going north of that, as they've said. You know, the doubters have come in to say it was never properly costed. It was estimated, and history says it's going to go north of that. So yeah. all these things going So in. bring your state government, bring your federal yep. government Federals. money, and this yep. is where, you know, the, the marker of the, the Fitzpatrick chairmanship was these stadia deals. Yep where you get all the money from every government that you can. You know, they had, in. they had me one over, Jared, when you could catch a ferry to the footy. I, I think catching a ferry to the footy is just the best thing. I, I'm, I'm one over. That's how easily I'm sold. Oh, rubber arm over here. He'll do anything for a ferry, will you? Don't worry about the money and how it all works logistically. A ferry Give me one to the ferry footy. and I'm in. What a, that's a magnificent I, I still, And I don't get into the politics. I don't understand enough about it. I'm not equipped to, to comment on that. I still have a concern broadly with the standard of football players that we have in this in this country and the dilution of talent you know, we're already in a situation where there's a, a couple of clubs probably and there's always a, you know a handful of clubs at the bottom that are almost non-competitive I just would love to get a better understanding about the dilution of talent well we're more than a decade away here I mean, yeah. They're not coming in next week. So we're, we're 10 years away. I mean, is there an element of build it and they will come? I mean, you, you reinvest in the in the game in that state as well, which if, if everything you, you hear and read oh, is I'm true, even, then it's died on the vine. I'm, I'm just talking broadly from, yeah. you know, whether there's a notion that you get, for example, two or three from every club, whatever it would be, but those players that are leaving those clubs are also lesser for, for giving away a couple of players or a couple yeah. of players leaving. I just need to understand that sort of context from an on-field perspective about how you make this yeah. competition. But isn't, isn't that a question, Dell, of junior development and pathway? So I know it gets funneled into the 19th licence, but yep. this is this is Australia's game as the brag is, and this is our Indigenous sport. Yep. If we are not producing that number of players to fill the elite, then... I don't think that I, I personally. Yeah. I don't think that's a question for Tassie. That's a question for the industry. I'm with you. And let's actually, you can 
um, walk and chew gum at the same time here. Oh, if we are worried about the, the lack of numbers of quality players, let's actually get really serious around identifying what that is and do something yep. about it. Yeah, I completely agree. And I already think there's too much of a a gap in the marketplace. And I've got young kids that are Auskick and are coming through the pathways, which is fantastic. And we do it arguably as good as anybody in Australia in regards to grassroots football and supporting the young. But once you get to the top end and the percentages, the, the differential between the best and the worst, still in my opinion, of the 680-odd of the players is still too far apart as it currently stands. So if I'm with you, about- if, we, if we need to reinvest, Jerry, I'm with you. But if we've got 10 years to find another good 40-odd, 45 players, then it needs to start now. I was, I was talking to Alistair Clarkson this week, and we all know that he's been on the, the Tasmanian bandwagon. That's where he's he's targeting. He reckons we need to develop better. He goes, yeah. we, we've mm. got plenty. We've got plenty of kids out there. But as you said, if you're born in Melbourne or you know, that, you're going to get highly skilled because there's so many people around to help. It's more reaching out to the country areas where they, they're not supported by AFL players, which are just around the corner. You need to go and invest and develop all the smaller towns around Australia, the country towns, go down to Tasmania. Um, he said there's so many people down there. And as you said, if it is eight years, if it is 10 years, we've we've got to start developing because he reckons he believes, and, and so a lot of people at the AFL, that the talent is there if we're willing to put the time, the work and the money into finding them. Yeah, we don't need 40 new kids. We need 400 new yeah. kids, yep. which, which is 40,000 development kids. So I, that, that, I don't know whether we take that for... We don't invest. We certainly don't invest enough in that as an industry. Yep. If if we don't think there are forty more yep. kids capable of playing AFL, that's not a Tasmania problem. That's, that's an, an industry, industry problem. Yep. Do you well need said. forty players on a list these days, Dale? Just swipe a few off, soften a few off. Well, no, no, forty. Well, at your very best, you only need twenty-two. It's just going <laughs> to, as Hodgie knows, you only need twenty-two. We're getting them a down at the end of the year. The, the others get missed out. The bounce back for oh, Duravenge, providing <laughs> erosion control and environmental revegetation. So there's a big night for Brisbane, Hodgie, um, at the Gabba against St Kilda, who have pretensions to move right up into the, the, the lofty end of premiership contention. The Lions, I think, have been regarded as the two seed for most of the season. I feel like that's on the line tonight as they, they produce a pretty, maybe their strongest lineup in weeks. Yeah, without a doubt. Um, they, they were, I think it was, everyone was talking up to about three weeks ago, it was Melbourne, Daylight, the Lions and probably Freo, then Daylight. But that's that's definitely closed up with the with the rest of the the clubs around four, five, and six. They they got beaten by the line uh, by Hawthorne down at Tassie. They just got over GWS after GWS jumped them. Frio taught them a lesson around stoppages and transition two way running, and their next three weeks are huge. They got St Kilda tonight. They got Melbourne next Thursday night, and then they got the Bulldogs the following Thursday night. So look, it's um. Yeah, they, they need to come out. They've got Joey Danaher back. They've got Hitwood back. They've got McStay playing his 150th. So their team is starting to come together. But we, we've spoken a lot today and in, in the past weeks about continuity. They've they've had a lot of ins and outs from Jack Payne playing forward and back. Tommy Fordham coming in playing forward. So what I think Chris Fagan really needs to do is lock this group in, pray for no more injuries, and try and get a bit of continuity into that group. And also work on a little bit of two-way running because they got found out last week. Well, they, they did get touched up. Six-day turnaround, travelling from the other side of the country. Hodge, you look at, I guess, the Brisbane Lions. You look at them really closely. If they are the two-seed, what do they need to do to be really competitive in the next you know, three to four months? What's their point of difference? Oh, I think that 
where they've been really good in the past is around the hunt, winning that contested ball, getting clearances. You got Lockie Neal in there. You got Jared Lyons in there. You got Hugh McCluggage. Um, Cam Rayner's actually came back from his injury, and he he was probably one of their best players last week in and around the football. Was leading clearances during the second or third quarter. I think that's where they get back to basics, and then from that, they don't need to rush. Sometimes when when things aren't going well, they think the faster we move the ball, the better. Sometimes with the Lions, they're such good. They've got such good skills with Zorko. We've got Daniel Rich. You have got Hugh McCluggage. You got these blokes going through the middle with beautiful skills. They try and go too fast, which opens them up. And when they turn the ball over, they get scored against too easily. So they just need to take a breath, ease it off a little bit, and then play a little bit more smarter when they've got the ball in hand. We're gearing up for all the action today for Dometic. Make your next adventure effortless with the Dometic Go Collection. Just pack, stack, and go. You're listening to Crunch Time for South Australia Tourism. Perfect for those who want a little more this winter. Visit southaustralia.com and 7-Eleven. You're never far away from 7-Eleven's classic slow-cooked Australian beef pie or traditional veggie pasty. Who needs a rever for Harley Heaven? The Harley-Davidson Pan America is coming to Harley Heaven in Melbourne. Dandenong and Ringwood. Visit harleyheaven.com.au for details. So that rev up for Harley Heaven, the home of Harley Davidson, very squarely rests with the North Melbourne community. There are two dreaded numbers around tomorrow's crowd. One is 8,974, the fewest that have been drawn to a game at Docklands when Melbourne and the Giants met in round 23-2015. And the lowest crowd in Melbourne since the turn of the century, which is 8,078, round 17, 2002, at Princes Park, St Kilda and Fremantle. So David Noble, uh, he took on the, the ringmaster's duty as you've got to rally the community. But we would like to see people, you know, come to the ground um, and support us on field. That's that's the essence of what you do. You know, great communities, great clubs and organisations stick together when things are a bit tough. Yeah, so anyone, any of the Shinbona fans and members that are out there, um, yeah, please come down to the ground. Oh, is he allowed to use Shinbona? Was that been the subject of some <laughs> debate? Get there. I, I know things haven't been going overly well for the Kangas. I've covered a handful of their games. I was down in Tasmania about a month ago when they took on Port. Not a great deal of support. Get there tomorrow afternoon. Once again, I touched on this um, with young kids talking about the Melbourne situation. There is times that things are tough, but you have to be there to support. You don't want to be that person that just rocks up when things are going well. You don't want to be that football club that's a downhill ski when things are going well. First responsibility, the 22 that they roll out tomorrow, give some effort. Actually give your support. It doesn't mean you have to win the game, but give your supporters a reason to go to the game and walk away and have a conversation with the family. Go, did you see that today? That young player, we just saw them give the effort that they need. That's their responsibility, and the fans need to be there when things are tough because that is exactly what it is right now for that club. There's hey, Dale, are you uh, Dale, are you going to watch? I am there tomorrow, Hodgie. Absolutely. I am, <laughs> is that uh, working? I'm is working. that working? I'm working, but I'm still there, Hodgie. I'm still there. you bring the family along as I'll well? I'll be there. Uh, no, not tomorrow because I've got to work, Hodge. I've got three young children that would burn the place down. Uh, if I wasn't controlling them, that would be. All right, that's our rev up. Turn your daily commute into a daily thrill-seeking adventure at Harley Heaven, Melbourne, Ringwood and Dandenong. Let's have a little dabble. Enjoying Crunch Time Banter? Check out Dabble Banter channels and copy Crunch Time Bets. Go on, have a dabble. Gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. Well, Jared, Josh Jeans is with us from Dabble Headquarters. Josh, now last week you went off script. You went down a state of origin path that we weren't happy with, so I hope you got the blinkers on this week. 
Absolutely. But to be fair, look, Sam, it was, it was going off a state of origin in the banter channels, and that's one of the unique things about Dabble is the community that we have. But you're right, I'm focused solely on the AFL crew this week. Of course, you had a nice $13 same-game multi last week, yes. which is fantastic. So you obviously, you know what you're doing and getting close to that 1,000 follower mark as well, which is fantastic. And I did note there were a couple hundred up on our Crunch Time NRL counterparts. So let's ram it home, shall we? What have what we got? <laughs> what have we got this week on the table, Josh? Love the competitive side in you, Sam. Of course, you got the Dockers, 25-plus. Obviously, tough task going over there for the Hawks. And you go on the Saints against Brisbane. Obviously, they had a win there uh, last year. So let's, uh, what are your thoughts there? No, well, but that's, a, that's our value. I reckon the Saints are playing some mm. great footy. And, uh, yes, it is a tough task up at the Gabatoire, but we're getting behind them. Now, that's the broad stroke, if you like. The nitty-gritty, the surgical um, approach comes from the great Dermot Brereton. And these are Derm's tips for you, Josh. He's gone James Sicily, 25-plus disposals. Toby Green hit the scoreboard, three-plus goals. And a total game score of that game we just mentioned, Brisbane St Kilda, mm. 169.5 points. Geez, I like that. It's going to be a goal fest, Sam, which is fantastic. And he loves his man, Toby Green. There's no doubt about that. Of course, Sam, the easiest thing to do uh, to copy those bets is download the Dabble app, follow Dermy23, follow Crunch Time AFL, who are closing in on that 1,000 followers mark, and go on, have a Dabble, Dabble socially, and gamble responsibly, Sam. Enjoying Crunch Time banter? Check out Dabble, banter channels, and copy Crunch Time bets. Go on, have a Dabble, gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. Sam, just close off by recapping the Bailey Smith story of the morning. A photo of the Western Bulldogs superstar holding up a bag of white powder has surfaced, Jero. There's a video in circulation as well of Bailey Smith at a party where he leans away from the camera before returning to shot. My understanding is the photo was taken last year, but the Western Bulldogs... In conjunction with the AFL, they're both investigating. The Dogs have released a statement which says the club are aware of images of Bailey Smith circulating on social media. The club is investigating the legitimacy of these images and he's not in a position to comment further at this time. But this will move quickly, Jared. Luke Hodge, Nick Del Santo, thank you. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you, guys. Round 13 edition of Crunch Time as we set you up for what to come. It's a couple of hours before footy begins this Saturday. This has been Crunch Time for South Australia Tourism Rewards Wonder. Visit southaustralia.com and 7-Eleven Hot Food hot and ready for you. The AFL Nation calls right across the weekend, culminating public holiday Monday, the Queen's birthday, big freeze eight, the festivities of the slide, then the D's and the pies. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semi finals, all thanks to McDonald's. Mackers, together and loving it. TNCs apply.